welcome. This is a podcast, but it's not like any other podcast. This is Shrek Talk. Thank you, Fairy Godmother. I am your host for tonight, Miss Thayera Leva. And although we will be touching base on all the Shrek series, we are going to pinpoint specifically for Shrek 2. Why? I'm an expert. When I was a kid, I probably watched this movie every single day, summer vacation, when I was 10. So I know this movie by memory. For me personally, the Shrek series, specifically Shrek 2, is a major staple of pop culture in my life. As I got older and started studying a little more of rhetorical analysis, things in that nature, I did notice that going back into the series of Shrek, there's a lot of innuendos, you could say, that allude to a more realistic aspect of life. Even though Shrek, the Shrek series, Shrek 2, is a fairy tale movie, PG for specifically kids, it still has real life aspects. In relation to the critical race theory, we can take a look at the supporting character Donkey. As the audience, we see animated characters on the screen, but their voices and characters give a hint at the kind of people playing these roles. So Donkey, played by Eddie Murphy, is easily assumed to be black by the audience. Not just because he's Eddie Murphy, a black man that's playing this voice, but also because typically in some movies, the black characters always play the role of comedic supporting character or comedic supporting best friend. In the article, How Race Shapes the Lives of White People by Robin D'Angelo, she states, His character fits a long circulating representation of black men as crude, buck-toothed, leering, and stupid. In addition to this connection made by Robin, she later analyzes the scene in Shrek when Donkey takes part in drinking of the Happily Ever After potion, which I'll be discussing a little bit later more into depth. But, um... In this scene, Donkey turns into a white tall stallion from taking this happily ever after potion. Instead of having his donkey mane, he receives silky white hair in comparison to his afro-like patch of hair as a donkey. If you look at Donkey, it looks like he has fuzzy hair on top of his head because he's a donkey. So in this happily ever after potion, um... Like I said before, I'll be talking about it more later because it's it's mainly for Shrek, but uh, Donkey, him being the noble steed, whatever, he's best friends with Shrek. He's like, I'm going to put my life on the line for you. Um, but anyways, the happily ever after potion, what it says on the description, it says, drink this potion and bliss will be thine, happiness, comfort, and beauty divine. So alluding beauty divine to Donkey having his buck teeth and frizzy hair. Um, his beauty divine gets turned into a stallion. Not just any stallion, but a white stallion with silky white hair. Now, 
let's shift our attention to yet another supporting character that is noticeably Latino. Ladies and gentlemen, Puss in Boots. Much like Donkey, the voice actor, which is Antonio Banderas, influences the idea that Puss is Latin based on his accent. Not only that, but Puss speaks Spanish. That's a dead giveaway. Although to Although thought to be a feisty, flirtatious cat that found besties with Shrek and Donkey Forever, Puss in Boots is filling the stereotypical narrative for the Latin supporting characters. In the article, Exposure to Television Portrayals of Latinos, the Implications of Aversive Racism and Social Identity Theory, the authors describe the typical role of Latinos in movies uh, based on their research that were quote-unquote typically restricted to a small number of parts including comics, criminals, law enforcers, and sex objects. Within these roles, Latinos are frequently characterized by limited intelligence, inarticulate speech, laziness, and non-verbal and I mean verbal aggression. In Shrek 2, when Puss in Boots is first introduced, he is known to the audience as the person, the king aka Fiona's dad aka Shrek's father-in-law, paid to kill off Shrek. In this narrative, Puss in Boots was the best and only hitman who can take out the quote-unquote ogre. As fate would have it though, this infamous Puss in Boots ends up choking on a hairball. So losing his credibility as a hard, a hard ass, he begs Shrek to take mercy on his life and gives him a glimpse into the life of Puss in Boots. And although this story was probably added for like a comedic factor, his life sounds pretty stereotypical street Latin man. Um, like I'll read what he says to Shrek. He's like, por favor, please, I implore you. It was nothing personal, senor. This is once he like tried to attack and kill Shrek, but then he had a hairball. Okay, he was like, I was doing it only for my family. My mother, she's sick and my father lives in the garbage. The king offered me much gold and I have little brothers, etc., etc., etc. This is when Shrek is like, the, the princess's father paid you to do this? I don't know, but his life story sounds pretty familiar to me, especially being a Latina. Um, furthermore, a scene I noticed much later into young adulthood, I guess, was when Human Shrek, Stallion Donkey, and Puss in Boots, right after they finish taking their potion or whatever, um, they get caught up by the far, far away police. And they're getting handcuffed, they're being rustled around, and it's interesting because in the background, if you listen closely while they're up and close with the cameras, because they're trying to recreate cops, it's like the whole movie's such a parody. Um, but you can hear Donkey screaming, police brutality, police brutality. And in this, in the meantime, Puss is claiming that the dime bag of quote unquote catnip that they found on him is not his. But we are going to be shifting our attention to the leader of this pack, Shrek. In Shrek 2, Shrek is having major issues with his self-image. He married a princess and now is a part of the royal family of Far, Far Away. The king and queen of Far, Far Away, a.k.a. mom and dad, picked the stereotypical Prince Charming. 
And you know what the funny thing is? That that's his real name. So Shrek's lack of beauty and normality is what pushes him to find the happily ever after potion, which uh, Lewis Roberts, the author of the article Reflections on Shrek, Fiona, and the Magic Mirrors of Commodity Culture, calls consumer culture. Shrek would do anything to change to make Fiona happy. Much like with Donkey, when Shrek turns into a human, he is the ideal image of any human according to the society standards. The article Beyond Shrek, Fairy Tale Magic in the Multicultural Classroom shows a study where students described their idea of a prince and princess and their descriptions for both were reflecting fair skin, beauty, physical strength, and body type, light features, etc. So when Shrek takes this potion, the ultimate beauty he reached were exactly these traits, um, which are stereotypical, which is how the article fits in. Another supporting article found that supports the previous mentioned stigmatizations called using Shrek to teach about stigma. Um, it was a study done to psychology students where a control group would analyze stigmatized clips of Shrek to see if they're aware of the stigmas once mentioned. Although Shrek is meant to be a parody of a fairy tale, uh, the audience is able to pick up on a lot of stigmatized conceptions and theories about his appearance and, and how he's treated because of it. Moving forward with the more feminine aspect of Shrek and the feminist theory, the idea that Fiona is a revolution in the princess movies. She is not thin, she has green skin, and is a total badass in karate. So you wouldn't think of comparing her to like an actual princess, but she is. The paint study by... Kizam Salar did a study on how the character of Fiona affects uh, five women after they watch the movie. To summarize, they all felt like Fiona inspired them to self-accept themselves. While the Shrek series is unconventional, it still carries the notion of women frailty. Although a more, more modern take on fairy tales, it still, it still pertains concepts in relations to um, feminism. And the reason why feminism and the feminist theory is being more enforced and studied throughout everybody. As the audience, we see the kick-ass nature of Shrek and see the women in on the fight. And everyone is just like, yeah, this is so not your typical fairy tale. A good point I read in the article, The Role of Princess in Walt Disney's animated films, Reaction of College Students, is about gender roles throughout the series, focusing specifically on the part in Shrek the Third when Prince Charming is the villain. This is a scene in Shrek the Third when he locks all the princesses, including Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, etc., etc. Um, we see that some of their defenses include falling asleep and waiting to be rescued because that's literally all they know how to do. Until Fiona is the only one to motivate everyone to fight back. This reinforces the idea that women need to be saved. In addition, this falls under standard patriarchal myths in the article Green Consciousness by Jane Capri. Jane talks about how Shrek saving Fiona and fighting against the beautiful fire-breathing dragon is a, considered a reverse trope. As the audience, we expect there to be a massive fight where the dragon ends up being slain. Another article called You Can't Say No to the Beauty and the Beast, Shrek and Ideology by Tekalander and McCooney shares the idea that 
quote-unquote dragon is figured as a fire-breathing feminist, keeping Fiona locked in her tower, unnaturally separating the female from the male. Dragon is genuinely a powerful and dangerous female. They also state the argument that men must be shown to have proper proprietorship of masculinity in patriarchal culture. In line with this statement, we ask the question, why did this fire-breathing dragon, literally a massive goddess, end up bat batting her purple eyelids at donkey? I like the words Tacklander and Makui used to describe the swooning of dragon over donkey, which they described as a parody of femininity. In comparison to the parody of femininity, we can finally focus on the most strong character that I think is in uh, Strike 2, the fairy godmother. Who doesn't love the fairy godmother? Not only does she get two musical numbers, but she owns her own developed, prosperous potion factory and has big plans for her son Charming to become the next king of Far, Far Away. She reminds me of Kris Jenner. In the article, A Wave of the Magic Wand in Contemporary American Media, the author, the author Jenna Jorgensen discusses the idea. Although a media icon literally interviewed by Joan Rivers, I'm talking about the fairy godmother, on the red carpet, she still pertains in womanhood and the norms that come with it. Although a literal big shot, the fairy godmother falls under the stereotypes of women when it comes to food as comfort. In the scene where she kidnaps King Harold, she tells him about how you forced me to do something I really don't want to do. While the king is thinking he's going to get murdered, the fairy godmother hits him with a my diet is ruined. I hope you're happy. And she continues to order from Fire's Fat Boy. She seems to find a lot of comfort in food when later on in the movie, while under distress yet again, she states, somebody bring me something deep fried and smothered in chocolate. And this falls under the narrative that emotional women are in a constant battle between dieting, being perfect, food, just like stereotypical things you would think of a woman, especially like on her period. The fairy godmother is just seen as, as someone overdramatic and over-emotional, overeating, um, which is how a lot of men see women. They see them as too emotional to hold a place of power, but the fairy godmother is literally the most powerful person of them all. So a typical fairy godmother is there to protect their princess and, you know, wish them well, help them, but the way the fairy godmother is... Um, as she's trying to force Fiona to go against like the literal actual love of her life, Shrek, because she wants her son to be the king and then she's going to eventually have so much power. But this reinforces a stereotypical, evil, powerful female character in a fairy tale. There's always that one, like strong women are always portrayed as evil in Disney movies and, you know, movies like this usually always happens. So although we can consider Shrek maybe a more modern spin on fairy tales, more comedic, more parody-like, it's still incorporating a lot of the stereotypical and um, theories that could be possibly rhetorical. Ending on the lovely note of the fairy godmother, Shrek talk has come to an end. Make sure next time you watch Shrek, you keep an eye out for these ideas that I have brought through with this podcast. You'll see evidence of the critical race theory. Um, 
as stated before, and the feminist theory as stated in my podcast. Uh, but you really have to look for it because you dive into the idea of a good movie to watch and then you totally forget about it because you're entertained. But these are stigmas that are in actual movies, in actual PG movies that children watch. And eventually, just like I did, they'll grow up and realize the real deal. Thank you.